Welcome to Throttled Up the Podcast, often imitated, never duplicated, your weekly home for the best in motorsports coverage. Even your grandpa talking about, man, that boy too cold. We don't sit on 24s, we don't ride on spinners. Welcome back to Throttled Up the Podcast, and maybe our theme song doesn't fit us as well this week because... We're not going to be talking to a current dirt driver. A lot of dirt history uh, in his background and in his family's. Uh, but currently, uh, he's driving for Stuart Haas Racing in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And our guest tonight is Chase Briscoe. I'm very, very excited uh, to get a chance to talk to him. Um, and it's it's been a um, it's been a really cool uh, experience uh, getting to watch Chase grow up. Both of us from Mitchell, Indiana. Uh, graduating from Mitchell High School and seeing what he's been able to do in his racing career. So looking forward to that. Uh, before we jump in, obviously you might see here that uh, Matt is not with me tonight. Uh, Matt had some appointments, couldn't make the interview. Uh, we look forward to having Matt back in studio with us next week. Uh, so he is definitely uh, missed and can't wait to get him back in studio with all of us. Uh, but looking ahead here just a little bit, Next week, we will have on the show with us uh, the Colin Shipley team. Uh, Colin Shipley, super late model driver out of Ohio. Young guy um, doing some big things uh, there with his sponsor, Speed Shark Graphics. Uh, they'll be in studio with us next Wednesday. And also joining the show is um, the ever-entertaining Ben Shelton there, member of the Dirt on Dirt team. So we'll get a chance to talk to uh, Ben Shelton um, and, and you know, along with Colin Shipley and have a little bit of fun next week so be on the lookout for that so guys we've talked a lot here uh, the last several weeks about you know COVID-19 and the seriousness of it and you know I know um, my partner in Thirsty Goat Entertainment and I Ryan Bowling um, have, have written some articles about to race or not to race and I know we're all itching um, and as states start to release plans to open back up and um, you know, I, I know we're all ready to get back to the racetrack. And, and I have to say, selfishly, um, I was able to do that this weekend. Um, the Dirt to Media team headed down to uh, Chatsworth, Georgia, uh, to Dogwood Speedway there. It's actually right across the road from North Georgia Speedway. Um, and it is a full cart dirt cart track um beautiful facility uh, very very well ran um, very nice facility had 409 carts entered there on saturday uh just an amazing day and i just want to give a shout out again to track owner and series promoter uh rodney byers man he he did a heck of a job him and his crew things move quickly 
um, for the number of carts they had, and just the whole day was um, really great racing. The dra- the surface was unbelievable. Just an impressive, impressive deal with what he did down there, and it was my first uh, jump into dirt cart racing. And uh, have to say, not only am I impressed, but had a lot of fun, and uh, it was very entertaining uh, to watch. So. Shout out to those guys down there. Uh, this weekend, kind of looking ahead, uh, hopefully Mother Nature plays fair with us, uh, but the Dirt to Media team will be kind of all over. Um, we got a couple live shows uh, in Tennessee. Uh, I will be with the American All-Star Crate Series uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for Mayhem in the Mountains. Uh, so we'll be at three different tracks uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'll be down there with them uh, doing the production on that broadcast. And then we will also be with the Blue Gray Series, Burris Blue Gray Series, um, cart series on Saturday night. So a lot of exciting things. Uh, hopefully Mother Nature holds out and uh, plays nice with us. So we're excited about that. Again, guys, if you haven't went over to www.thirstygoatent.com, Go over there and check it out. Lots of articles, um, lots of stuff, content we're trying to bring you on that. That's going to continue to grow, uh, so go check it out. Great On the Rocks uh, article this week between Ryan Bowling and I talking about who's on that Mount Rushmore of dirt racing. Um, And then also, what are the tracks uh, that deserve to be on the Mount Rushmore of dirt racing? So go check that out. Um, and, and give it a read. Uh, let us know what your opinions are, where we're right, where we're wrong. Um, we love to always hear that info back from you guys. Uh, and then if you head over to um, shopthirstygoat.com, um, you'll get a chance to see all of the products that we're putting out, uh, T-shirts, stickers. Uh, I got to give a shout out to my wife. She's been designing a lot of different stickers, some really cool ones, um, and they're up there for sale. Uh, so you can go on there and knock those out. Um, again, free shipping right now. Select that at checkout, and you'll be able to get totally free shipping um, whenever you check out. So before I turn us loose here, um, and, and meet Chase Briscoe and, and get a chance to talk with him. I do want to give a huge shout out here to our sponsors. And um, uh, I'm going to go through all of them, and then I just want to hit on a few of them there. But uh, that's Legacy Paint and Body there uh, in columbus indiana new sponsor this year can't thank them enough for coming on board uh man they do some amazing work and i'm just telling you if you've not gone and looked at their facebook page do so Uh, i'm blown away by the work that they do brownstown speedway again no racing this weekend but uh looking ahead to when we can open up brownstown speedway and i'm excited to be back at brownstown uh and seeing all the racing action there don't forget dirt to media.tv uh big sponsor of us and uh appreciate those guys appreciate getting to work with those guys go over and get a vip subscription uh so you can get all the on-demand races uh from from the dirt tracks here locally also including salem speedway this year but also be on the lookout for a lot of these live shows uh that we've been broadcasting it's a great opportunity to get your dirt fix if you can't get out to a track and again this weekend uh, mayhem in the mountains three days uh friday saturday sunday with the american all-star crate series local driver tyler collins running that series this year so get a chance to see some of these uh, local guys here early as they go out and regionally race indiana farm bureau agent tommy taylor uh, you can contact him at 812-346-5664 can't say enough about tommy uh give him a chance uh let him run your uh your your insurance see if he can make it cheaper you know he's gonna try and give you the best for what he can he is my agent he is matt's agent um and we can't say enough good things about him 
Gilpin Electric and Generator Services. Uh, again, Bill Gilpin, man, this guy, if you're looking for wiring in a, in a race trailer, if you need an outdoor generator to make sure your home is up and running, no matter what the weather is, this is a guy to reach out to. Just an unbelievable human being and does great things for us. Irwin Customs for all of your race body and, and uh, consulting needs. Get with Brad Irwin um, there at Irwin Customs. OCC Seamless Gutters and Construction, man. My guy, Jeremy Owens, man, doing big things. He's got some of the coolest cut gutter colors you can pick out. It's really gone from just a necessity to have gutters to being a, a statement in how you design your house. So go check him out. Also doing construction now. Um, just a great guy to work with as well. Don't forget about P3 graphics and P3 racing shirts. Uh, you know, new place just was down there the other day with Eric Bryant, an amazing setup they got down there um, and great quality of both race wraps, um, stickers, but also those P3 racing shirts, man, no minimum quantity. You can get them quick um, and you don't have to buy, you know, the 72 shirts uh, that we see a lot of other places. So great offer there. Schaefer's Photo and Custom Tees, uh, Mark and Jamie Schaefer, uh, www.schaefer11.smugmug.com. Man, you can't find better pictures than what uh, Mark takes there at uh, Brownstown Speedway. Go back. You got some time. Go back and look through all of last year's pictures. Pick out some that you like. Get with Mark and make sure you get those those gifts uh, for whether it's for your sponsors. Um, if you got a race fan in your house, make sure they get some of those things. And then Kane's Tree Service, tree trimming, tree removal, stump removal. Guys, it's that time of year here in the spring when uh, storms start to kick up. Contact Kane's Tree Service for all of your needs. Uh, great group of guys. Uh, they do great work. So reach out there to Kane's Tree Service. All right, guys. And uh, before we jump back in here. Um, I again just want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. I want to thank Chase Briscoe for being a, a guest here on the show. Uh, by far, um, I appreciate everybody that's been on the show in all the episodes we've done. But I have to say, this is probably uh, one of my favorite interviews I've gotten to do. And, and Chase just such a good kid. And and uh, I'll just call him out now because we call him out later in the interview when I'm talking to Chase. The I, the only one that I think can probably top this interview is uh, Kevin Briscoe. So Risky, um, I'm calling you out, man. I want to get you on the show, Risky Brisky, and uh, I want to talk about your career and all the great things you did. Um, I've said very many times on this show, you're my hero. Um, and I loved watching that white and red number five go around Bloomington Speedway. So Thanks, guys. Uh, again, uh, check out ThirstyGoatENT.com and ShopThirstyGoat.com. And we appreciate everybody. And we'll see you again next week, Wednesday night, 8 p.m., uh, with Colin Shipley and his team and also Ben Shelton from Dirt on Dirt. Now, I'll take you to the interview with Chase Briscoe. And welcome back to Throttled Up the Podcast. And this is a uh, an extremely exciting episode, one I've been looking forward to doing for a while. Um, I have another uh, Mitchell Blue Jacket on the line with me, and that is one and only Chase Briscoe, uh, Xfinity driver for Stuart Haas Racing. So Chase, man, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've, I've actually watched the show quite a bit. You have a lot of my buddies on, so I'm always watching it and tuning in. I watched last week with Britton, and then uh, when Toby was on, I obviously watched that one. So I'm definitely a fan. Hey, we appreciate it. Yeah, man, we're, you know, obviously with us being uh, where we're at here in the world, uh, we interact with a lot of your buddies all the time. Yeah, Britton, uh, Britton's a good one, man. Other than that Duke Blue Devil head on the top of that race car, uh, outside of that, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's all right, I guess. He can be all right. 
Chase, I want to jump right in here, man, because this is the cool thing for me. And, and off air before we got started there, we, we were talking about, you know, obviously both of us graduated from Mitchell, but I'm 10 years older than you. And, and I grew up and I've said it on this show a lot. I grew up like your dad is my hero in the racing community. And I know to, you know, and I've told your dad that and he, he laughs at me, but like I grew up going to Bloomington Speedway and watching, you know, your dad in a sprint car there. And I, I catch a lot of heck over here in, you know, the Brownstown area because everybody's late model guys. And um, I'm still an open wheel fan. So like growing up, that was, that was like, if I could be anybody, I wanted to be that, you know, Kevin Briscoe in that five red and white Briscoe mobile homes car. So, you know, what was it like? And I'm going to jump right into this. What was it like for you, you know, getting into racing, knowing the history that your your grandfather had with his teams that he owned and your dad with his success on the track? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, cool for me. I didn't know any different. You know, I just thought my dad won a lot of races. Like that was just normal growing up. And you know, I didn't go to a lot of races when I was really, really young. Um, at least in the pits, I would always go to the grandstands with my mom. And then, uh, you know, I think my biggest memory of my dad racing is when I wouldn't go, it was always when I woke up every morning, I would come out of my bedroom and it was like facing the kitchen counter. And there, it seemed like every weekend there was a trophy sitting there. So I knew he had won the night before. So that's like my biggest childhood memory of him racing is I just remember always turning around the corner and if there's a trophy there, I knew that he obviously won. And if there wasn't, then I, I knew he didn't win. So that was always cool when I was really little. And then once I got older, I'd say around when I was 10 years old is when I started going a lot more, uh, at least to the pits. You know, it was kind of new for me just because he was so busy. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I never, I've never been mechanical ever. So I would just go and hang out with my friends in the pits and I would push him on the four wheeler and whatnot. But it was always really cool to grow up you know, going and getting pictures in victory lane and traveling all over, you know, the Midwest with my dad and my grandpa. It was definitely a lot of fun. And obviously I, I think a lot of the, the younger generation knows your dad, uh, you know, around my age, but I don't know how many know how involved your, your grandpa was, you know, your grandpa Richard and the, the drivers, when you look at the list of guys that have driven for your grandpa, I mean, it's like the Sprint Car Hall of Fame, man. I mean, you you go down the list there, and you're talking, you know, Dave Blaney, Dick Gaines, uh, Chuck Amati, Jack Hewitt, Steve Kinzer, you know, Rich Vogler. I mean, this is this is the who's who of Sprint Car drivers. Yeah, he had a ton of amazing race car drivers. He started in '76, and uh, just had like you were saying literally the who's who of sprint cars drove for my grandpa I think as an owner he has over 500 wins alone and then when my dad started in 86 uh, obviously that kind of became the end of him hiring drivers just because my dad was always running the car and I remember a little bit my grandpa would still hire drivers and my dad would drive for other teams I remember Kevin Huntley driving and Kyle Cummins and a couple other people uh, but you know definitely my dad and my grandpa was always the the red and white five that i remember but yeah early days i would love to be there and just been on the road you know going to the racetrack with hewitt or bogler or any of those guys would have been so fun to, to be a part of obviously i've heard a ton of the stories of going to the racetrack with hewitt and all them guys and it would have been a blast so yeah i've definitely been very blessed to be born into a really good racing family especially you know, in the Indiana sprint car scene, I would say my grandpa is one of the, you know, he doesn't get the recognition I feel like he probably deserves even on a national scale just because, you know, to win over 500 races as an owner, that just is a testament to 
obviously you have to have good race car drivers, but you also have to have a good setup and good equipment. My grandpa didn't really ever seem to have very many parts failures. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. I, I, I say that all the time. I don't think your grandpa gets the recognition around as being, you know, what he really was. And, and maybe it was the timing. I, I don't know. But, you know, you look at this list. He took shots on some guys because, again, now these names are Sprint Call Hall of Famers, but he took shots on guys before they were the names they were. And, and it's just an amazing list of the guys that he was able to, to work with and find. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't even stop at drivers. You know, it even goes all the way to the crew members. You know, Scott Gherkin got his start with my grandpa and Scott Gherkin went on to be with Steve Kinzer for all their wins and championships. So, you know, it wasn't only drivers. Like I said, it was also crew guys. You know, Daryl Tate's another one that uh, started with my grandpa and did a lot of racing with him. And then obviously was really successful later in his career and, and being a mechanic and a crew chief. And I have to tell you this story, and I've told it on here several times, so our, our weekly listeners will probably roll their eyes, but when you ran the throwback paint scheme, when Brady was run, Brady Short was running your car, and it was at Brownstown Speedway for the No Way Out a couple years, and it was so funny. My co-host is the announcer there at Brownstown, and we're walking through the pits, and he's like, go over there. And it, it honestly took me back to being 10 years old and seeing it at, at Bloomington Speedway, and I'm like, no, I, you know, it's, and it wasn't like, I, did, I thought that I couldn't go over there, but it was just so, like, such a childhood moment again that it's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced was seeing that car roll out again. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, we had talked about it, and I, I wanted to do it just because that's, you know, that was the car I remember growing up was always the red frame with the white body. It was plain, but it just, it looked so cool just how it just popped for whatever reason, especially at Bloomington with the red clay and everything. And uh, I was obviously in North Carolina when the car got wrapped and everything. And I remember them sending me pictures and I was like, man, that thing is by far the coolest looking race car we've ever had. And to see it on the racetrack uh, was so cool. And I actually got to go run that paint scheme uh, in Fremont, Ohio and ended up winning in it. So that was super cool for me to be able to, to get a win in that paint scheme. Uh, I'd done it obviously a little bit earlier when I was younger, but to, to have it you know redone again, uh, was super cool just with all the history you know it's it means a lot to me it, obviously like you were saying it means a lot to you too and that thing just that was my childhood man that red and white five and something about it has always looked so clean and just so sharp to me and it, and it's so funny because my, my wife is not she didn't grow up in the racing you know going to races and things but it was right after we moved here and she found a box of like you know keepsakes and she pulled out one of your dad's risky brisky driving school shirts that oh, yeah. he had signed for me and it's it's about like a youth large so I, I don't know how young I had to be to fit into that thing but and she was just laughing I'm like but you don't understand like how iconic that that car is to me I mean it just it was so cool to see you do that and and like i said you know it watching your dad at bloomington speedway was like was like something out of the movies i mean it was just unbelievable to get to watch him race yeah i remember i wish i could remember more of it just because when i was you know eight nine ten years old i didn't appreciate what was actually going on on the racetrack as far as being able to watch him and you know i understood the concept of racing but i didn't know what i know now so i wish i could go back and and really learn a lot more um but yeah i remember growing up going to bloomington and it was always my dad dickie Gaines, Derek scheffle kevin thomas those were like the four guys that he was racing against all the time and it was so fun to go to bloomington and and i always got to go to bloomington because it was you know 25 minutes up the road and all my buddies would go with me so that was always you know my friday nights from when I that's all I can remember being there on Friday nights and then going to Lawrenceburg and Hopstadt and all these places 
you know, it didn't matter where we went. It seemed like with a wing or without a wing, he was always at least in contention to win. So as a, as a kid, that's all you can ask for because it was the coolest thing to go get a picture on the front stretch with your dad. You know, and I got the chance to do this um, just a, a week or so ago with Hudson O'Neill. We need to find some old uh, Bloomington race footage of your dad running. And we yeah. actually we pulled out the 95 Hoosier Dirt Classic uh, at Brownstown when Don won. And Hudson and I sat down here in studio and actually watched it. And he commentated over to- top of it and talked about watching his dad run. That's that's something we need to do is find some old Kevin Briscoe um, race film and, and do some do some content with it. I would be all about it. The problem is I can't ever find any videos of his wins. It's what's funny. Everybody talks about how he had all these wins, and it seems like every video you sack or any of these people post, he's always running terrible. So I always give him a hard time about it. But, you know, I remember him winning a ton of races, so I know he did. But it seems like all these wins he had apparently were never on video or something. So I would love to, to find some of his bigger wins at least and watch them again. You know what? That's a project I'm going to work on for you, Chase. I'm going to see if I can find people around here that maybe uh, have some of that and we'll work on it. But So let's jump into to your career, though, um, because I didn't bring you on here just to talk about Dad and Grandpa, um, even though, like I said, and I appreciate you letting me go back there a little bit because they were, you know, that was a huge part of my childhood, but you jump in the first time in a in a quarter midget when you're six years old i believe correct uh seven seven okay yeah and you win your first race win the heat win the feature you lap everybody but second place i mean that's an unthinkable start in the racing and in a racing career i mean it wasn't like there was a ton of confidence like i'm not trying to sound cocky but a lot of those kids you know they were just as young as me and they didn't grow up around the racing like I had. So I had a pretty good understanding of at least what to do where a lot of those kids, you know, some of them were learning the flags for the first time. So (laughs) it's not like it was this major race or anything. I think there's only like seven or eight cars, but you know, for me, I'd grown up around it. So I understood it. You know, I watched all the time, even though I, I didn't know what I know now, I at least understood the concept of what was going on and how to make passes just because when I went to the racetrack, yeah, I went and ran around and played, but when my dad was on the racetrack or a sprint car in general was on the racetrack, I was watching. I was intently paying attention. So, you know, I felt like, yeah, I won or whatever at seven, but it's not like it was, you know, this crazy <laughs> big race or anything. I think it was just a local show at Indianapolis, but it was definitely fun. I, I wish I could have raced more when I was younger just because I didn't race like a lot of these kids did. You're saying you weren't racing Kevin Thomas and Dickie Gaines at that point. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But, you know, obviously, then you take a, a huge break before you jump back in a car. And then at age 13, um, you get in a 410 sprint car. And I, I have to say, you know, Josh Moffat's a good friend of the show, too, and, you know, runs sprints. And we talked to him about the first race car he jumped in was a 410 sprint. What's it like feeling the power of a 410 sprint car at 13 years old? I don't know what my dad was thinking, honestly. <laughs> you know, like you were saying, I started when I was seven. And I ran a quarter midget twice, and I didn't race again until I was 11. And then even when I was 11 and 12, I think over that two-year span, I only raced maybe 18 or 20 shows in a mini sprint just because my dad was racing all the time still. So, you know, for us, we didn't have the money or even the time to go run two different types of cars. So, you know, we were talking about it one day, and, you know, our whole goal was to go sprint car racing eventually. So, you know, with how Paragon had it where you could run, everybody runs a feature. We had all of our old sprint car stuff sitting there that my dad had ran. And, you know, the mini sprint deal, 
even if we would win, we would get 50 bucks and it costs you the same amount of money to go run the mini sprint as it does the sprint car. And if I ran last in the sprint car, I'd at least get 150 bucks. So it just made a lot more sense if I was going to go sprint car racing just to go ahead and start. And uh, we went and did a test at Paragon just because my dad wasn't going to put me out there if I couldn't control it. You know, that was the big thing with him is I got to be driving the race car. The race car can't be driving me. So we went and did the test and you know, I'll still never forget just firing the thing up and running quarter throttle down the straightaway, how much power this thing had compared to what a mini sprint had. It was unreal to feel that amount of power difference. So I started off and we, we tested the wing car for half the day and then ended up taking the wings off. And then, you know, I think a month later I was racing at Paragon for the championship. And that, 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 that's one of those stories that amazes me because, you know, you think about, but when you, when you talk to racing families and and people that have grown up around it just like that your dad you know people may think oh my gosh what was kevin thinking sticking chase in that but your dad had a plan he was going to watch if you couldn't control the car you weren't going back out so it was it was a controlled release of you being able to go out and do it yeah for sure and that even you know all the way through my entire sprint car career anytime i would start doing something that he felt like was out of control, you know, it was getting put to the stop pretty quick. So, you know, I remember my first year, even at running a Paragon, I got into a guy. I didn't even, I didn't mean to, I just made a mistake and he was known for fighting this guy. If you got into him, you were going to get punched in the mouth. And I was a nervous wreck. And my dad made me walk down there, apologize, shake his hand. I mean, that was just how it was in, in my family is you were going to race with respect and you were going to respect the sprint car because you knew what it could do to you. And that's, you know, one thing a lot of these kids that I feel like at least even are in sprint cars now or midgets, they don't respect them because they just didn't grow up around it. Where my family, you know, they knew what a sprint car could do to you. And that was just kind of the difference. And, you know, even going back to that test session, if he saw that that thing was going to be driving me instead of me driving it, we weren't going to go race it. We would just wait longer until I was ready. But he felt like I was ready at that time to not put myself or others at harm. So that's why we went ahead and did it. You know, and then, you know, one thing that you're really well known for is at the end of that season, you pick up your first win and you break Jeff Gordon's record for the youngest driver to win in a 410 sprint car at 13 years old. Jeff was 14 years old. At, at 13 years old, do you understand the, the magnitude of, of that, that you're breaking that record? No, I don't think so. It's super cool now, but at the time, I didn't really even know what i did i guess um you know what's crazy is we won that last race of the year i should have won probably my second race ever in the thing and we ran i think ninth or tenth my first race in a sprint car and then we go back the next week and i think i led 23 out of 25 laps and i did this huge wheeling about flipped over backwards and i ended up getting beat and running second to kyle cummins but i don't think i i really knew what i had done just because for one we didn't even know i did it i think it came out a year later this guy had went and backdated all these results and realized that we did it but it's definitely been kind of you know my sprint car career and dirt career i don't have any big wins i barely honestly truthfully won in a sprint car i think i only had five or six wins over a six-year period so it's not like i had this crazy resume to get to where i am now but i always had that stat to lean on that was kind of what separated me from everybody else at least on the dirt side so it ended up being a huge blessing in disguise but at the time i definitely didn't really understand how big of a deal that was um just because anytime you can be with jeff gordon or anything it's a big deal obviously in the motorsports world yeah and, and and even obviously nascar but for those who maybe are just nascar fans when you start talking about you know gordon in indiana in an open wheel car anytime your name's mentioned in that same category too that's uh that's special company 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, anything with Jeff, whether it's sprint cars or, you know, NASCAR, even if you were on a go-kart, rental go-kart, and you set a track record that he had before, I mean, it's going to be a big deal. I mean, he's one of the icons of all of racing. He's one of those names like uh, AJ Ford or Mario Andretti. So to, to do anything associated with him was uh, definitely a big deal. And I do want to I do want to bring up one thing because I I think and and I, I'm going to tell you this story uh, here a little later, but I think that a lot of times people think that because of the success that your dad had had, um, because of the success and that your grandpa had had as a, being a team owner, this idea that it was just kind of well, you just had the best of the best, man. You were going to roll <laughs> out and, and and have the best stuff and and growing up around there and knowing your family. It, that's not the case, man. You you made a lot out of what you had available. Yeah, you know, my grandpa, when he first started, obviously it wasn't the best, but then there for a while, he did have really, really good equipment. And even my dad at the beginning of his career had really good stuff. And then at the later part of my dad's career, you know, with the economy and everything tanking and we were in the mobile home business, you know, we just started running new stuff for my dad. And when I started, you know, we ran a motor from 1993, I think, or 98. I mean, this thing was old. It was, I think, on the dyno, 710 horsepower compared to everybody else. You know, if you have an 800 horsepower motor, it's small. So, you know, I ran my dad's old 2004 Stealth. I mean, we never had anything new by any means. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely, at the time, I didn't realize that it was a disadvantage um, just because I'd never driven anything that was brand new. And now that I've done the NASCAR stuff and came back and I've I've bought new race cars and had lightweight stuff with the best stuff, it, I mean, it's sickening to know what I was racing against that whole time just because it, it truly does make a difference even on the dirt side. Uh, I remember the first time we had bought a new midget uh, in 2017. I think I went and ran it at Ducoin, and it, was, it almost drove itself around the racetrack. It's just crazy how much, you know, that much less weight and just newer components and nicer equipment makes a difference on the dirt side. So... Yeah, I definitely didn't have the nicest stuff when I was starting off, but, you know, it was still competitive. It just wasn't the the high-end, you know, lightweight, everything brand new by any means. Absolutely, and, and I just want people to understand, it wasn't, you didn't have a silver spoon to, to go do this stuff. I mean, that was, you guys worked and grinded and, and, you know, Grandpa made sure you had what you needed, Dad made sure you had what you needed, but it wasn't an unlimited budget by any stretch of the imagination. No, for sure not. My dad had taken out a loan one time just to buy a used car, and I remember we destroyed it, and I went and ran a 1999 Stealth for a couple weeks. So, I mean, we definitely weren't running new stuff by any means. We always just tried to make up with what we could, and, you know, like I said, it wasn't like it was, you know, the worst stuff in the world, but, you know, it definitely wasn't the nicest stuff either. It was kind of somewhere in the middle. So, you know, for us, growing up non-wing racing it's a lot easier to go compete non-wing wise than it is wing wise so you know it definitely helped out a little bit but yeah it would have been awesome to go around dirt stuff and brand new stuff growing up but you know i think it definitely would have made me a worse race car driver looking back on it just because you're always trying when your car's perfect it's a lot easier from the driver's side of things and when you have to actually work for it and try and you're not having a perfect driving race car it makes you as a race car driver better i feel like and i have to tell you this story but it, it was probably two or three years ago maybe it was right when you started chase briscoe racing and um you had been at iowa the night before in the truck series and came down to the no way out in in um brownstown and you raced uh one of the cbr cars i think uh yeah, that was our first night out i think timez maybe was your teammate at that point timez was running for you guys yeah. Yeah, that was our first night out 
Well, I'm sitting in the stands, and there's a group of, of fans up there, and I'll never forget it. They start in on you about, ah, oh, this kid, NASCAR money. He thinks he's all fancy, NASCAR this, that. And, and I finally just turned around. I'm like, guys, what would you rather him do? He raced at Iowa last night. <laughs> and made sure he came here he's supporting the dirt community he's got Timez in a car he's doing everything to help build what we love i said would you rather him just tonight maybe you know hit saint elmo's for a big steak and not come and race and it was so funny because as soon as i called him out and said something it was like uh i i and i'm like dude the the kid has worked for everything he's ever gotten and he's given back to the sport so for me I want to tell you I appreciate how much you've done to give back to the dirt community, even with your your career in NASCAR. Yeah, I appreciate it. And honestly, you know, the whole reason we did any of that stuff is obviously it's something that I'm super passionate about, but it wouldn't have been possible without uh, Briggs Cunningham, the guy I drove for in ARCA. We started talking to him when I went truck racing the year after leaving his team about how my grandpa missed sprint car racing. And he was like, well, what's it going to take to go start a sprint car team again? So we, we figured up some numbers and told him and, you know, we went and bought all brand new equipment and hired T-Mez because we felt like he would be a really good guy to kind of evaluate the equipment. And, you know, it was fun for the, the two or three years. We, we still have some of the stuff. We just, I'm so busy now, I can't run it. And then uh, Briggs has gotten sick for a little bit, so it kind of got put to the side. But, yeah, you know, it definitely, you know, that was my dream growing up is if I ever made it to NASCAR, I wanted to give back to sprint car racing because I always saw, you know, guys like Tony Stewart, guys like Casey Kane doing the same thing. And I thought it was so cool that they always did that. So, you know, if somebody didn't take a chance on me on the stock car side, you know, I would have never been able to be where I'm at now. So I wanted to do the same thing on the dirt side. And it obviously started with T-Mez and uh, we did Logan CV and then tried to bring Dave Darlin back. And then that's kind of when the whole team went south. So, I would love to start it back up again if we could ever find a big sponsor or whatever to do it because it was a blast for, you know, not only me, but my whole family. Let's start moving into when you go from dirt to asphalt and you end up in the um, the, the Speed uh, Channel's uh, Stock Car Dream Challenge uh, with Michael Waltrip. How did that all come about? Yeah, so we had just, I can't remember if I flipped or, or blew a motor or something, but we were out of sprint car racing. I, I didn't have any ride or anything. We didn't have a car left. And I was just scrolling through Facebook one day and saw this advertisement for this Peak Stock Car Dream Challenge deal with Michael Waltrip Racing. So I didn't read any of the guidelines or the details. I just sent in a video that said that's all you had to do. And come to find out I, I totally blew every guideline they were had or any of the rules so i don't even know how i got picked but it was a, a voting thing and i just kept sharing it over and over and over again i was one of those people that was constantly telling you to go vote for me and i ended up being i think second or third out of everybody on there and they took the top 10 so i got a call to go to charlotte and then that's that was the first time i ever got to drive on pavement or in a stock car or even drive a manual transmission so that was really the whole thing that kick-started you know where we're at today how different is it from dirt to to pavement um you know it's different it's two different types of driving styles but you know they still have the same characteristics you know you still have to have throttle control you still you know for me growing up dirt racing running sideways on pavement was always comfortable where a lot of guys kind of struggle with that that grow up pavement racing but you know you still have the same lack of grip i mean perfect example this week at darlington we're going to be sideways just as much as we would be in a dirt car you just you don't see it as much on the nascar side because 
you can't see us working the wheel inside. You don't see the attitude of the race car bouncing around like you do a uh, sprint car or a midget. But, you know, they're just as hard to drive. Um, you know, there's just so many different variables that go into it because we have all the aero side of things, you know, dirty air versus clean air. There's so many little things that make a difference. Uh, so it's just two totally different types of racing. But as far as driving them, it's the same techniques and things that you would find that make you go fast on the dirt side the same as it does on the on the pavement side we still instead of looking for moisture you're looking for a clean racetrack that doesn't have rubber on it to, to try to go faster you know instead of running a cushion we run the wall because that amount of air packed between our car and the wall creates almost a cushion for us so it's the same types of things it's just totally different in the aspect of how you do it so and then you go from that that stock car challenge and and you end up at Cunningham. Well, you run the K and N West Series for a while, and then uh, but you end up at Cunningham Motorsports for the ARCA deal. How did all of that come about? Yeah, so I, I, right after the peak stock car deal, uh, Bobby Hill and he used to run a NASCAR. Uh, we were talking to him, and he ended up sponsoring me in three races for the K and N deal. Um, and we went with the same team that that Michael Walter Racing had kind of steered us towards, and then. That was in 2013, and then those next two, two and a half years, I just slept on couches and would volunteer at different race shops in North Carolina. The first one I went to was uh, Brian and Bob Keselowski, which is Brad's brother and dad, and the only reason I knew Brian was is he was one of the instructors at the Peak Deal, so he was one of the few guys I even knew in the Charlotte area. So I was there for a little bit, and I would spot for him on some of his races, and then bounced around from a couple of different teams, and then... Uh, I was really good buddies with Christopher Bell at the time, and he had an offer from Roush Fenway to do a driver development deal, uh, but he was obviously a Toyota driver, so I knew he wasn't going to take it, so I just walked straight into the Roush headquarters, and I knew the guy's name that he had been talking to and mentioned him, and you know they were like, oh, we can't let you see him today. We'll give you an email, and you can get in touch with him. So I emailed the guy, told him what I was trying to do, and he was gracious enough to take a meeting with me, and uh, I just told him how I was actually going to be teammates with Bell at an indoor mini sprint race that coming weekend, and I would let him know how it goes. And I ended up winning the race, and Bell ran second. So I'd emailed the guy, and then that week I'd actually talked to a guy about maybe representing me as an agent, and he had just so happened to talk to Roush Fenway and, and mention my name. So then they had heard my name now from not only myself but this other guy, well, then the Cunningham Motorsports team had called Roush Fenway the very next day about how they were going to take an extra car to test and if they had any young drivers that maybe they were looking at, at running potentially down the road that if they wanted to test them, they would they would hop, they would would hop put them in a car at a test. And Roush Fenway had heard my name twice now, so they mentioned it to this Cunningham team. So I actually – I was driving back to, to Indiana. I was quitting. I was coming back home. I was over the North Carolina deal, and I was actually in Kentucky, and I got a call from this Cunningham team uh, about me coming and testing for them. So I uh, went and ran a midget that weekend and then came back, and and before I walked out the door, I just said, hey, you know, I'd be more than willing to volunteer my time if that means anything. So I started volunteering there, and I got back to the owner, Briggs Cunningham, uh, that I was volunteering all this time at their shop, and he thought it was a pretty cool story. Uh, And then I went and did the test, and – we were really good at the test, better than their other two actual drivers at the time. Uh, so they let me run two races in 2015. And uh, in the off-season 2016, or leading into 2016, I had went to, to Briggs Cunningham's house, which is in Kentucky, about two and a half hours south of Mitchell. And this is the first time I'd ever met the guy. We had talked on the phone super brief every time because I would just call him and thank him. And 
no, he didn't know who I was or anything. He knew that I drove the car and he thought it was cool that I volunteered, but we never met face to face and we just kind of hit it off. Uh, I still talk, I just talked to him yesterday for almost 25 minutes. We still talk all the time and he's this 88 year old man that just likes watching his cars go on the racetrack. And he asked me, Hey, what do you want to do next year? As we were driving around on his little gator on his farm and I said, well, I'd love to try to win you your first championship. I said, but, you know, if you don't run me in 10 races or five or one, or even if you don't run me at all, I just appreciate you letting me run the two. And he called me the next day and said, hey, let's run for the championship. So in 2016, we ran for the ARCA championship and obviously was able to, to win it and win nearly half the races. And then that progressed to getting me a Ford contract to, to start doing the truck racing at the time. And I want to go back to that that season, and, and you're exactly right. You know that that 2016 ARCA season was amazing, and and I think that's really when you know your hometown in Mitchell, Indiana, really. I mean, a lot of us that knew the dirt community knew that, but when you started running ARCA, that's when even for me, my Facebook feed it seemed like every ARCA race was was filled up with chases p3 chases p4 chases i mean and it was, it was just amazing it was so awesome to see but i have to ask this because you won at winchester that year iowa lucas oil raceway pocono chicago land and kansas the big one in arca that stands out there and i know bloomington speedway was your home track is you never uh, picked up <laughs> that <laughs> you never picked up that win at salem speedway man how bad did you want it oh uh, it, it still eats me up truthfully <laughs> Uh, just because at both Salem races, I said on the pole, we were so fast at both of them. The first one, the last pit stop, we had a loose wheel and threw the axle out. And then the second one, I mean, we literally dominated. I think we led over 100 laps. And how ARCA works on the short tracks is you get six tires. So one of your pit stops will be four tires and the other one will be two. Well, typically you always take your two tires first because you have that long run and then you save your four tires for the very end. So with how dominant we were we went ahead and took our two tires well pretty much the whole other half the field that wasn't a lap down took their four because pretty much straight up they couldn't beat us and come to find out it went green the whole way so we ended up going a lap down i think we finished fifth but yeah it it tears me up to not win at salem it was so cool to to go to salem and just have that hometown support whenever you went in there you know see how many you know 77 briscoe shirts there were it was uh unbelievable yeah i was just talking to i still talk to chad bryant who is my crew chief he actually owns the arca team now he bought him out and we talk all the time about how can we somehow go back and run salem because it it tears both of us up we both want to win that race so bad because we knew how how we let it slip away so at some point i'm going to go back and run salem it's just a matter of figuring out when it makes sense uh and when we can do it well, please do, because even though we can't broadcast the uh, the ARCA races, uh, Dirt to Media, I'm, I'm a partner in that, and uh, we're, we're actually doing all the live races uh, for Salem this year outside of USAC and ARCA that have their own deal. So I would still love to be there to watch you uh, come back to, to Salem, because not to bring up a, a tough spot, but i would like to see you win at salem just as bad so yeah i i definitely want to me and chad were joking you know what happens if we go back and don't win again so <laughs> it's one of those things like man it would really tear us up if we go back for a third time and can't get the win so we definitely we both want to do it. it you know like i was saying earlier salem meant so much to me just because you know growing up my grandpa and my dad would always take me to the usac races there and that was the only pavement racing i ever watched growing up so you know, Salem, I mean, it 
it takes some serious kahunas to go around that place and use that car. And I remember how fast it would it would look as a kid. I'm like, man, these guys are crazy to run around this place. And then to to always go to the I would always go to the Arca race as well because we'd go watch Frank Kimmel and those guys. So you know, for me, I was like, man, this is this is cool. These guys are a big deal. And we would always go to Tumbleweed. I remember watching <laughs> the trailers all drive by as they left the racetrack and. You know, it seemed like a big deal because all those guys had the big trucks and trailers. So for me, the Arca race was always super sentimental at Salem just because I went there as a kid. But to, to win, it would definitely be cool. And then obviously you, you end up in the truck deal. And um, so you start running the trucks. And, and what was it like, you know, making that transition, even from Arca, to, you know, the full time NASCAR truck series? Uh, it was definitely, a you know, a very humbling situation. Uh, just because going back to what I was telling you earlier, the first shop I volunteered at was Bob Keselowski and Brian Keselowski. So then to go and drive for Brad, it all kind of came back full circle. So it was super cool to do that. And then I think if I remember right, we went to Daytona, we ended up being fastest in practice. And then I wrecked like half the field on the first lap of the race. And I'm like, oh, no, man, this is this is not going to be good. And then we go to Atlanta. And I had a really fast truck and ended up blowing a tire like 20 laps in and then go to Martinsville the next week. And I wrecked like half the field again. It was just not good. And you start questioning yourself. And then it seemed like halfway through the season, we kind of started hitting our stride. And then we got more and more competitive. You know, truthfully, I think we ran second four weeks in a row and we should have been able to win three or four of them. And this had weird stuff happen. But then to, to end up, you know, I think three quarters of the way through the season, we found out the team was actually going to shut down. Um, and then to go to Homestead, the last race ever in the history for Brad Keselowski Racing, to be able to go there and win the race, uh, it was super cool to be able to reward Brad, uh, you know, to be able to get him his last win as an owner in his last race and kind of say thank you for him taking a chance on me. How crazy is it just, just from the, the adjustments, but to go from Daytona to Atlanta to martinsville i mean you can't talk about three more different racing styles and tracks than those three yeah they're definitely all three totally different and even just the truck car or the truck to the arca car is so night and day different you know the mile and a half stuff like in atlanta and an arca car we would use a little bit of brake, but we would be all the way out of the gas where in the truck pretty much every mile and a half you go to you run wide open for at least eight to ten laps just because they have so much downforce so just trying to understand how different those cars or trucks drive and then even daytona they they punch such a big hole through the air the drafting style is totally different you know the arca race is normally pretty single file everybody stays in a line where the trucks are two and three wide so it was definitely a, a very eye-opening experience going to daytona and then to go to martinsville you know a tight little paperclip bull ring where you're beating and banging with you know Johnny Sauter and Matt Craft and guys that are kind of staples of the truck series as a as a rookie was definitely super eye opening too. So it was kind of the perfect scenario I think looking back on it to go to those three racetracks at the beginning just because it kind of got you acclimated to what you're going to expect for the full year. So then after that and obviously like you said Kislowski Brad's uh, truck team shuts down and you end up over um, were you in did you go straight to Stuart Haas? So the whole thing with Brad's team was is I, the whole plan was from Ford. I was going to run uh, Brad's truck for two years and go to Xfinity for the following year for year three. And when Brad's deal shut down, it was so unexpected for everybody. It, it really kind of threw everything haywire just because of how late in the season it had happened. I want to say it shut down or got announced it was shutting down at the beginning of September. Well, 
that kind of made it where it was hard to find anything. So the following year, the plan was I was going to run 12 uh, Xfinity races for Roush Fenway and then uh, five races at Stuart Haas, which put me at 17. So I was going to run part-time the following year, but like I said, the whole plan was to, to run the truck series again, uh, and then that obviously all got changed. That's when you were also running some of the sports car stuff too as well that yep. season. Yeah, they were trying to get me just the most races I could do at that point, and that's when I got into the IMSA stuff, which was uh, really crazy for me growing up dirt <laughs> racing to go run the IMSA sports car deal and just see the different personalities and you know the different total different type of, of racing and atmosphere um was definitely crazy i think i ran eight out of the 11 races that year and got to go to you know a lot of racetracks i would have never been to i got to run obviously the daytona road course but then i got to go to lime rock and vir and road atlanta and i even went to canada so there was a lot of different racetracks that was cool for me just to go to because i had ran them online and whatnot but never expected to run them in real life so now let's talk about that because your first win in the Xfinity car in the 98 there for Stuart Haas Racing happens at the, the Charlotte Roval. The first year the Roval is, is, is pulled out. And I got to say, as a NASCAR fan, I think that is the greatest thing they have ever done. I love the Roval. I love watching the race. Um, but you pick up the win there. Do you contribute some of that time in you know those sports uh, car races to, to helping you on that road course, that road oval? Yeah, for sure. You know, road course racing is so hard to, to kind of figure out how you, you know, just approach it and the mentality on how to pass guys. And, you know, there's so many little techniques that it takes to go fast. And, you know, it, for me, when I first started the ARCA deal, we had one road course. And then in the truck series, we had run one road course. And I always had a blast going and running them, but I would always be, you know, two and a half, three seconds off the pace from the road course stringers. And, you're just scratching your head trying to figure out, all right, how can I be three seconds off? Well, if you break it down, that's about two to three tenths a corner. So it doesn't really sound like a lot when you make it that way. But, you know, going and running all that IMSA stuff, you know, we had data and everything on the car. So I could compare myself to, you know, Austin Cindric. He was my teammate and he was a road course guy for his whole life. So I could look at his data, see what he was doing different than me. Um, and then just getting, you know, laps and repetitions on a road course was so big. So, yeah, for sure, the IMSA deal was a huge part of the Roval win just because, you know, it taught me those little characteristics on what to do. And I just felt comfortable, at least a lot more comfortable than I ever was before, you know, going and doing the IMSA stuff. And I have to say, um, if I ever get the opportunity to get you in studio, uh, at some point when you're back around Mitchell, we do have uh, your diecast here in studio of the first oh, yeah, Roval win. So we're gonna yeah. have, we're gonna have to get an autograph on it because it is not autographed, but we do have the uh, the uh, confetti uh, covered car from the Roval win. Yeah, it's got confetti everywhere on it, but yeah, we could definitely do that for sure. But then, probably as as and don't get me wrong, it was amazing getting to watch you win the Roval. But probably the coolest thing for me was that same year you go and jump back in the trucks at Eldora in the Dirt Derby. And for anybody from the dirt world, um, outside of, uh, obviously, the Chili Bowl for us open wheel guys, Eldora is just about as great of a dirt track as you could ever see. What's it like when you pick up the Dirt Derby win there in the truck? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, for me, you know, Eldora is the equivalent, what I feel like is Daytona is for pavement guys, or really all of motorsports, but, you know, Eldora is the dirt version of Daytona. Everybody dreams of going to Eldora, and 
you know, believe it or not, that my first ever race at Eldora was in a truck. I never got to run a sprint car there or anything because my dad would never take me over there. So, you know, for me just to get a race at Eldora was a huge deal in 2017. And then to go back in 2018, you know, with me running the part-time stuff, you know, Ford was trying to get me in any race I could. And I'd went to them and, you know, I thought that it was a done deal about four months before. And I just texted the Ford guys about, hey, are we still good to go for Eldora? And this was probably two and a half weeks away from the race because I hadn't heard anything. And they said, oh, no, we totally forgot. Let us work on it. So I found out literally, I think, eight days before the race that I was even going to run. And I had to fly up to Ohio because that's where Thor Sport, the team I drove for, is based out of uh, and tried to fit in a seat. So it was super last minute, first off, and then to go there. And we didn't have any points, so we had to race our way in, which was a little bit stressful. And then we ended up, I want to say we won our heat race, so we started up front. And then the race kind of was up and down. We started off really good, and I was just kind of riding around in third. And then uh, we did a different pit strategy than a lot of the guys, which put us restarting, I want to say, 18th or 19th with like 45 to go. And, you know, I truthfully thought the race was over because it went really long green. And then we caught a couple cautions at the end that kind of saved me. And then uh, I ended up having to start on the front row, I think, with eight laps to go with my dirt driver in the sprint car world, Logan Seavey, starting beside me. So it was super cool to be able to do that. But then to win at Eldora, yeah, it was, you know, like I was saying, it's, it was special for me just to get a race there. But then to, to actually win there uh, was a huge deal. And then to, to do it, you know, for me, that Xfinity year running part time up until the Eldora race it was terrible. I think I had one top 10 maybe in, in eight races. It was just a really rough year. I was down on my confidence and everything. So to go there and win that kind of started slowly getting my confidence back to where it needed to be. And, uh, was a huge part of, you know, truthfully, even coming to Stewart Haas full time in 2019. And if I remember correctly, you, you got a heck of a Swiffer package out of that deal. Cause they, <laughs> they, they love the idea of you having the Swiffer inside the car to work on the dust. Yeah, I, that in 2017, I put a big Swiffer in there and everything else, and Swiffer thought it was hilarious. So they sent me like 30 boxes of these Swiffers to, to use for whenever I, I went back to Eldora or even just for around the house. So it was, it was pretty cool that Swiffer, uh, I don't even know how they found out about it, but they, they somehow did and sent me a whole box of them. How, how crazy is it, you know, to put those trucks on the dirt and race them there? Well, it's totally different than anything I'd ever done on dirt. Um, you know, so 2017, I show up. This is my first year in the truck series. I'm, you know, I'm talking a little bit of smack to my teammate because he's never ran dirt. And, you know, my crew chief and me, I mean, we are going there with all the confidence in the world that we're going to just smoke these guys. So I go out on the first truck in practice, hit the racetrack. I spun out, I think, two times in three laps. I'm just wide open trying to drive this thing like a sprint car. And, so I pull in after like the first four or five laps and I'm looking, I'm parked right behind our trailer and here comes Tony Stewart walking in between our trailers and he's just shaking his head. So I'm like, Oh no, what did I do now? So he comes and leans up in the window net and he's like, you got to calm down. You cannot F and drive these things like a sprint car. Like you, you just can't do it. You got to calm down, take a breather. You're going to be fine. So obviously getting to talking like that from smoke kind of roped me back in and I started being a lot calmer. And then at the end of second practice that first year, I, uh, I think we were like, we we're literally half second faster than the field in practice. I mean, we are just flying and my crew chief with like 10 minutes left in practice says, all right, we're going to put all the fuel on this thing just so you can kind of feel what it's going to be like now on a full fuel load. We're putting new tires on it. And I remember telling him, no, we're good. Let's just park it. No worries. Yeah. We're, we're fine. 
So we go back out, and I get stuck behind a slower guy. So I go to throw a slide job like I'd been all night long on other guys. Well, with all this fuel, this thing just keeps sliding and sliding and sliding. <laughs> and that's when I almost flipped over. I don't know if you saw the video. Oh, I had yeah. the wall, climbed up on the catch fence, tore the catch fence down and everything else. So that, that was a little rough for my first year. And, you know, it's 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 hilarious to hear you talk about it because I interviewed Bobby Pierce just a couple weeks ago and talked to Bobby about running in the dirt derby. And when I ask him what it's like getting those trucks out there, he goes, they're not made for dirt. I mean, it's just, it was point blank. You can't drive them sideways. It's the, that's the biggest thing is you can drive them to a certain point of sideways, but once you get them, like, say, for example, you can run them at eight degrees yawed out sideways. Well, mm-hmm. if you hit eight and a quarter degrees, it's you're over. spun out. There's no saving it. That's the biggest thing is just trying to figure out how far can I get it out sideways without spinning it out. And it seems like typically the faster guys there are, whoever can hang it out the most without spinning out. Yeah, that's that was exactly. I mean, Bobby was just like, and it, you go from a late model where everything is set up where I can just push it into the corner and he goes, everything there is finesse, everything there is trying to keep the truck straight. He said it was just a whole different different world. For sure, they're definitely not made to go on dirt at all. So, and then looking ahead, obviously, you know, and, and I, I know this about you and it's been out there, obviously, in the NASCAR world, too, racing at Stuart Haas Racing. And we already talked about Gordon and the connection to Gordon here in Indiana Open Wheel. But I, I grew up a Tony Stewart fan, um, as big a one as there could be. And I don't know that there's ever been a guy that I truly believe that could get in anything and any type of, of vehicle and, and beat the field as what smoke can What's it like to be running for a guy like that? Oh, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, like you were saying, you were a huge Tony fan. I was a diehard Tony fan myself. My When I go back to Mitchell and stay in my bedroom that I grew up in, I have Tony Stewart blanket covering the window. I have Tony Stewart stuff everywhere. You know, growing up, I would wear my Home Depot uniform and, and helmet and play my sprint car video games. So for me, Tony Stewart was the guy growing up nothing against jeff gordon but i i hated jeff gordon growing up because i was a tony stewart fan now i obviously really like talking to jeff and we're good friends but you know growing up i was a tony stewart guy so i could care less about jeff gordon so for me to be able to drive for tony stewart um is literally the the icing on the cake that's where i always ever since i started this nascar deal my goal was to drive for stewart haas obviously in the cup series but uh, hopefully a stepping stone of that's driving for him in the Xfinity series. And to be able to not only drive for him, but, but also win races for him is the coolest thing in the world is because the guy I've always looked up to is my boss now. So it's pretty special for sure. And then obviously getting ready to go back racing, you got to be excited. So I don't want to keep you too much longer, but getting ready to go to Darlington here. What how, What's it been like here during this whole COVID shutdown? And obviously, you know, we know how serious it is and we know all that, but how amped, amped up are you to be back at the racetrack? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go for sure. You know, anytime you take two and a half months off, it's, it's uh, different for us race car drivers just because we're used to always being in a rhythm. We're used to going to the racetrack and you know, even in the off season, I never take this amount of time off. I'm always going indoor midget racing or doing something. Well, I can't do any of that now. So it's definitely been different. I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes, not only mentally, but also physically made uh, in these first couple races. Uh, but I'm definitely ready to get going. Darlington, I think, is the perfect racetrack to go back to. Uh, it's probably the most treacherous oval we go to as far as just not getting put in the wall by yourself. You know, a lot of these places we go to, it's pretty hard to wreck by yourself, but Darlington's one of those places. It'll just reach out and get you at any point. So 
you gotta you gotta respect that place um and it's gonna be fun to go there with no practice no qualifying just hop in and go so i'm looking forward to it. it's gonna be fun and i gotta ask this too because obviously we've gotten the chance to watch you in some of these i racing events and i know you've been running all different kinds of of events and yeah, when I was talking to, to Britain last week, because I, I have just joined the iRacing community and I am so awful at it. Um, and Britain is here and he's talking about, you know, when, when you guys were younger and you guys started playing iRacing, does iRacing at least help you stay sharp as far as muscle memory and things like that as you're, as you're off? Yeah, I think to a certain extent, I mean, it's obviously not the real thing by any means, but you know, as far as hand-eye coordination goes and, and just racing, making passes, figuring out how to set guys up, I think it's definitely a good thing to do just as a refresher. So, you know, the payment deal, I don't honestly do a lot of on, on iRacing unless it's the NASCAR stuff we do, but, you know, I love the dirt stuff on there. I think the dirt stuff is, is really good, especially the wing sprint cars. So, you know, for me, whenever I go and, and get ready to go run the indoor midget stuff or anything, I normally try to get on there just because, you know, the, how they have it where the track changes is so realistic. You know, it really makes you, just like real life, you're constantly searching. So it's pretty realistic. It's not the real thing, like I was saying, but it's as close as you can get. And it's definitely fun to do, especially during a downtime like we've had these last couple months. And before I let you go, the last thing I want to say to you is, number one, congratulations on the marriage. I know you uh, recently were yeah. married, but, but even more exciting – uh, congratulations, father to be um, yeah. here soon. So, are are you ready to take on the fatherhood role? Because it's going to be like a race car, man. It it's out of control and it's going to drive you. <laughs> I know Dad said that you had to be able to drive the car. I got two. I got a six year old and a two year old. Let me tell you, they drive me a lot more than I drive them. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. It's going to definitely be something new for me and my wife Marissa, but. It's uh, something that, that's going to be super exciting, so rewarding. But, it, I mean, it's definitely not going to be easy, I'm sure. But we're really excited. Uh, the due date's December 1st, which is the day after our wedding anniversary. So that'll kind of be a really nice gift for us. We actually find the gender out, I think, next week. So we're both convinced it's a girl, which is that's fine with me. Uh, but it's definitely going to be fun. I don't know if I can handle two of her, but we're going to have to try. <laughs> I, just, I just can't wait to see Risky Brisky as a grandpa. He's pumped. Let me tell you, he is so excited. It's uh, been talked about it a lot. I can't imagine. And if and if it is a girl, you know that red and white paint scheme may end up being pink and white, and it'll look (laughs) really good at some point too. Yeah, we're have to. Who knows? If they want to race, I'm sure we'll we'll let them do it. That's what they want to do. But you know, it's definitely going to be fun to see what my dad does in the grandpa role. I know he's been in love with our two dogs we have, so I can't imagine what he's going to be like with the grandkids. So. He's definitely super excited. It's going to be fun whenever it gets here, and we can all experience that together as a family. And and just, you know, like I said, experience it. It's something new for all of us, so it's going to be fun. Well, Chase, man, I won't keep you anymore. I I want to say again, thank you so much for coming on. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out to to talk with me. And, um, again, and I I know I say this, but honestly, as as a kid that grew up in Mitchell as well, thank you for not only representing Mitchell, um, but continually remembering that because so many times people that go on from Mitchell or from smaller towns anywhere, you end up becoming from Indianapolis or from Cincinnati. 
you have held on that no i am from mitchell indiana um and that to me means as much as anything so i appreciate it and man i can't tell you how big of a fan i am of you as well and and i can't wait to see you back in the the nascar xfinity series yeah i appreciate it. it's definitely you know super humbling and just crazy this the amount of support not only from mitchell but also lawrence county and, and whole you know seward haas was having me get a collection of all my social media stuff for sponsor stuff and part of that was getting our facebook numbers and out of all of the people that we have on there i think it was something like 18 percent is from lawrence county it's our biggest market so it's pretty cool to, to get on there and see how many you know people from mitchell and bedford and all that stuff follow me and it's definitely humbling, like I was saying. But yeah, definitely a Mitchell guy. I know they get they get riled up. I guess the Times Mail put I was from Bedford one time, and the Mitchell people were not happy. So no, you can't go north guy. of the river, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely a Mitchell guy, not a Bedford guy. Nothing against Bedford, but definitely for Mitchell. No, and hey, man, like I said, I I appreciate it, and it, I know how crazy your schedule is. If you're ever back around Mitchell, man, we're we're an hour up the road outside of Brownstown, and we'd love to have you in studio. Um, still, I'm still going to work on your dad. I got to get your dad in in studio too to talk to him. Um, yeah, you got. I'll help you out. I'll I'll make it happen. Yeah, you tell him you did the show. He's got to do it. Uh, yeah, we can do that. But brother, I appreciate it, man. I wish you the best of luck. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me once again. It was fun.